Am I on? Am I on? <laughs> Good morning, everybody. It is great to see you today. Would you stand with us, please, as we again join together for worshiping our Lord and Savior? Come, now is the time to worship. Come, now is the time to give your heart. Come, just as you are to worship. Come, just as you are before your today. Would you just turn to your neighbor and greet them? We want you to get their name and just say hello this morning. Turned into wine, open 
seat as we continue, please, worshiping. I know many of you know this next song, so let's sing it from our heart to worshiping the Lord this morning.
Baptist Church. We are David and Sarah Henderson, and we're on staff with Crew, formerly Campus Crusade for Christ, at Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee. And we wanted to say thank you so much for your gracious gift and your birthday gift to Jesus this year. We're so thankful that you were willing to include us in that to help us continue to reach students for Christ. Crew is a caring community, passionate about connecting people to Jesus Christ. We seek to win students to Christ, to build them up in their faith, and then to send them out as Christ-centered laborers to impact the world for Christ. And at Vanderbilt, we have the privilege to really uh, be, a, be around some of the best and brightest students in the entire world. And we really believe that they have the opportunity to influence the world for Christ in amazing ways with the rest of their lives. And so we're so thankful that your gift allowed us to continue to do what we want to do, to continue to impact students for Christ. And we just want to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. And not only was this gift a blessing to us financially, but it also served as a sweet and very meaningful encouragement to me because of my relationship with Library Baptist Church. I grew up going to Library Baptist Church. My parents are David and Ann Dedrick, and it was in the upstairs room of the gymnasium where I accepted Christ into my heart as a young girl. And it was through the youth ministry where I learned how to walk with the Lord and I learned how to spend time with Him and I learned how to pray. And it was through um, the youth ministry, the student ministry under Kim Barner's leadership where I learned how to actively share my faith through um, ministries like the evangelism explosion class that was held at the church. And it was through the summer missions trips to West Virginia and New York City where I really believed that God placed within my heart a passion uh, for telling others about Him. And it was also through Library Baptist Church where I learned how to give. I learned how to give back to the Lord what He had so faithfully given to me. And that was really a lesson that was learned through the birthday gift to Jesus offering. And so again, it's just um, a real blessing to be on the receiving end of that gift now. And so as a young girl, Library Baptist Church taught me how to live on mission for the Lord. And now along with my husband, we are full-time missionaries to college students. Um, so thank you. Thank you, Library Baptist Church, and from the bottom of my heart for your faithful service to the Lord through the years. Um, I am a life that was changed. Thank you, Library Baptist Church, for faithfully investing in kingdom work, not only in your city, but in cities across this country and across the world. We are humbled and we are honored and we are um, deeply grateful to be included in your missional giving last year. So thank you. 
From the bottom of our hearts, we are so thankful for your faithfulness. Continue the good work. God bless you. Amen. What a beautiful, beautiful testimony. of One of the kids that kind of spent a lot of their growing up years right here in the church, just one of our little Sunday school girls, and now her and her husband are full-time missionaries on the campus of Vanderbilt University. What a terrific, terrific ministry. Uh, you know, those ministries on university campuses are really hard, but... Uh, They've got two sharp people here, amen? And uh, please reach in the book rack right there in front of you and pull out one of our little black friendship folders. It's right along the aisle there, and as soon as you get a hold of one, if you'll be so kind to put your name on it and give it to a person sitting next to you, we'll appreciate that a lot today. Well, there's such a wonderful spirit in the church this morning, and uh, we're so happy to see you here. Uh, I just want to remind you of a few things. Uh, we are on our journey now to raise funds for our birthday gift to Jesus. And inside your Sunday courier is our prayer list. And I want you to take this thing really uh, seriously. Go home, lay it out some conspicuous place and pray down the list. And this is the way I pray. I pray, Lord, lay it upon someone's heart for this particular project or this person right here. Uh, raise up a person who will look at that and say, Lord, I can do that with your strength and your help and your blessing. Uh, choose a project, two projects, as many as you can handle, half a project. And uh, right now, I think we are at about uh, $16,000 has come in in the first three weeks. And so that is really, really good. But do you see how far we have to go? We have the highest goal we've ever had, $73,000. Now, it's a little frightening, isn't it? But the Lord, He owns it all, right? And I think if all of us, first of all, pray about our part, Lord, what would you have me to do? And God will, like, whisper in our ear, hey, this is what I want you to do today. And uh, we have a number of weeks to get ready for this. You don't have to do it right now. But before the emphasis is over... Let's do more this year than we've ever done before. Uh, Joanne and I, we always have a base amount that we work from. And then God always provides more than that uh, that we can give to the birthday gift to Jesus offering. Pray about your part. Give more to Jesus than any other single person on your gift list. That, that means you give as many gifts you want to give to other people. Just give Jesus more. Put him at the top of the list. That sends an important statement to the Lord that, hey, listen, Christmas just not about what we're doing here in our little part of the world. It's about the birthday of Jesus Christ born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. And so we take that money and we give it all away. We give it all away. And this is our gift list. And uh, some, a few of these people don't know they're on the list. And so, you know, in January, they're like really surprised and really happy to get that check in the mail from a church. Maybe they've been praying for it. God provides it through you and me. Make sure when you do give your gifts to this project that you designate it Christmas so that we can keep it separate from our regular giving. We also have to do that too along the way, okay? All right. Um, our dinner theater is coming right up December 13th, 14th, and 15th. This is the time that we invite people our friends, uh, our acquaintances, people we run into to come out and have a, a dinner at the church. We always have a nice catered meal over here. Then we bring everybody over in the auditorium. We have a Christmas musical. The tickets are flying out of here. There's a lot of people in the first service standing in line out there getting their ticket. So uh, get the tickets that you need and so that you're not disappointed and we, and we run out before you get yours. Get back there and Get as many as you can. Get a few by faith. I'm going to buy a couple of these by faith. Invite a friend. Maybe you know this guy's never, this family's never been to church in years. Uh, boy, they're the people that, hey, come on over to the church for the Christmas program. And uh, boy, God can really do a big work in their heart. We have a number of people in our church that were contacted for Christ in the Christmas program for the first time 
in their life. Now they're steady, helping, ministering people right here in our church. So this program really has a lot of value. Let's stand together, please, as our ushers come, and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. Dear Lord, we thank you for this day which you've given to us. Uh, most everybody in our church, Lord, as far as I know, has a job. You provided a means of income, uh, a check, uh, money at the end of the week to feed our family. And Lord, we come together as a church body right now to thank you for this because we know that there are a lot of people in this world that don't have this. And so we feel privileged, but we also feel a responsibility to share this with uh, your work here in the church and through our missionaries around the world. We pray now that you'll pour out your spirit upon us as we give you part of our income back for your service. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
As you're finding your place in chapter one, I'd like to just recognize some friends that have come to be in our service this morning all the way from Connellsville, Pennsylvania. And uh, there's Kim back there and her husband Sam and her, their boy Sam. And uh, Kim is the daughter of Clarence Bartok. And uh, Clarence and I were friends many years ago up there uh, working in the Connellsville area trying to start a little church up there together. And uh, he's been serving the Lord for quite a while. And I was really surprised when you guys showed up this morning driving all the way down from Collinsville. And so I'm going to embarrass you and ask you to stand up so people can see you so we can welcome you, okay? Go ahead, stand up. Let's, let's welcome them. They, uh, they, they deserve that. Uh, that's a, it's not a real long trip, but it's a crooked trip coming down from there. I'd like to begin reading this morning in verse number 5. And I'd like to talk to you about a simple spiritual lifestyle. Verse 5, it says, There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. You know, now this is as good as it gets right here. Husband, wife, both right in the sight of God. God looks down upon them and said, in my eyes, they're okay. They're right with me. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. I want you to notice it doesn't say sinless because there aren't any couples like that in our world. But uh, this was as good as it gets right here. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well advanced in years. They were unable to have children. And so it was that while he, uh, he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. On this particular day... Uh, this was a life-changing moment, really, for him. Uh, you know, in everybody's vocation, there's that, uh, there's that epitome of, we could almost use the word success. And if you could get that, you would really, that would be, you'd be like at the top of the order. Well, this is what happened to him on this day. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. And the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. I think God hears all of our prayers. He just answers them in different ways. Sometimes he says yes. A lot of times he says no. And sometimes he said, You just wait a little while. And I'll give you this answer sometime later. Here the Bible says, For your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Now this is typical of a birth, right? We rejoice at a birth when we have those little babies. I'll tell you what, they're the most precious gift uh, ever given by God. And he will be great. Now listen to this. He's, they wrote John the Baptist's resume before he even was born. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to drink neither wine nor strong drink. He'll also be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that was unusual at this particular time, too, before the, the dawning of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he's going to turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Boy, this man is going to have a ministry. And we also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah. His ministry is going to be like Elijah in the Old Testament. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zacharias says to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. And the angel uh, answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, 
and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place, because you did not believe my words. You know, unbelief in the promises of God, there's always a price to pay. Because the Bible does say in Hebrews eleven six that without faith it's impossible to please God. And so as the angel Gabriel was speaking here, Zechariah had his reservations and he was saying, listen, I don't know how this is going to happen. And the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak to them. And they perceived that he'd seen a vision in the temple, for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. Whenever the, the priest was to come out of the temple, he was supposed to give a benediction to them. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But he couldn't speak. Something happened. They knew something happened to him. So it was as soon as the days of his service was completed that he departed to his own house. And after this, these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and she hid herself five months. Well, what we're talking to you today about is a simple spiritual lifestyle. Here was a couple that, were, that they were united. If ever there were two people that characterized this, it was Zacharias and Elizabeth. You know, I'm convinced today that God does special things through simple people in unexpected places. Because, you know, we always look at ourselves and we say, well, you know, I'm not that person. I don't have that talent. And, and uh, you know, there are plenty of other people that could do this much better than I could do it. I think Zacharias and Elizabeth had that attitude. They weren't looking for anything big. They were just looking to please the Lord with their life. That's all. Christmas is couched in the midst of the lives of ordinary people living in tough times. You know, it looks as though that they, could, uh, they would have no relief. Remember, Rome was ruling the land, and these people were under tremendous domination from Rome. And as we open our Bibles this morning and transport ourselves back into these times, we see people like ourselves trying to be of spiritual value with the life that God has given us. I think if I could ask you and you could ask me, you know, what are you really looking for in this life? I think after we've filtered through all the answers, I think all of us will be saying somewhat a statement somewhat similar to that. I just want to know that in some small way, I made a difference. I made a difference. My life actually had impact on my family and those around me. Now, I want you to notice a few things in this, these verses with me this morning. First of all, the time period. The time period was Herod the Great. Herod was known for his building projects. He was an insatiable builder. Everything he saw, he wanted to build. But he was also a murderous tyrant as well. I understand that Caesar Augustus was a close personal friend of Herod. And he was quoted as saying, I'd rather be Herod's pig than his son. And the reason why he said that is because Herod killed his favorite wife, Mariana. He had ten wives. Because he suspected infidelity from her. Herod also killed his uncle, his mother-in-law, and three of his own sons. He was deeply insecure and paranoid. Uh, he always felt threatened. And you remember the story when the wise men came from the east and they were looking for the baby Jesus and uh, he uh, declared that the babies would be killed. And so this was in tough times. I'll tell you what, even though you and I feel like we're living in tough times today, they, their, their times were tougher back in that day. First of all, we have in this passage of scripture this morning a couple that God was using. Two I think simple people walking hand in hand through this world and all they wanted to do was be involved in the Lord's work. You know, that's a great goal. It really is. You know, that is a great goal. Husband and wife just making one step after another through the difficulties of life, just trying to say, hey, Lord, we're here. We're available. We want to serve you. Here the Bible says that he was a priest. That was his vocation. He was of the division of Abijah. 
You know, the priests were divided into 24 divisions or groups, and each group took part in temple worship twice a year for one-week periods. The head of these 24 divisions were called chief priests, and you've seen that mentioned many times in the New Testament. Uh, they were ahead of each division, each 24 division. There were so many priests that some of the duties were assigned to them by lot. Actually, I found out that there were probably 20,000 priests at this particular time. And so what happened on this day, and I don't know how this whole thing worked, uh, we could visualize it this way, that they had all these 20,000 names in a big barrel some way, and somebody would go down like this and say, okay, our priest for today to burn incense before the veil is Zacharias, burning incense. He had to do this both morning and evening. Uh, this was a one-time, lifetime event. You couldn't do it twice. And seldom did people get a chance the first time to do it. I think if he uh, lived in our world today, he would have immediately got on his iPhone and called his wife and said, Honey, guess what? You'll never believe it. They call my name. I'm nervous. Would you pray for me that God will calm my ne nerves? Because I have to go into the holy, the holy place and stand before the veil of the temple. I've never been that close to the presence of God before. I need your prayers, Elizabeth. This was the biggest event of his life. Incense was a symbol of prayer. In fact, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, the scripture says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Incense going up to God is a symbol of prayer. It's, a, it's like it symbolizes our prayers going up to God. I understand that a bell was rung to signal the people standing outside to begin to pray. And so as the priest went into the, we have the picture back there, uh, into the temple area right here. You see the veil hanging there. And that little object right in front of the veil was the altar of incense. And there the priest is. He's going into this magnificent temple of God. They ring the bell and all the people standing outside the temple begin to pray. And what were they praying for? They were praying for their nation. That's what they were praying for. They were praying for the coming of the Messiah. That's what they were praying for. I think it was the last time my wife Joanne and I went to Israel. Uh, it was during the Feast of Tabernacles, and, and they build little tabernacles all over the town. Even in modern, the modern city, they would put palm branches and tree limbs. And it was a picture of how the God took them through the wilderness, and God blessed them in tough times. And we were particularly stricken with the fact that on the big apartment buildings, you know, they have cities like ours. Tel Aviv is like New York uh, on a smaller basis. Uh, on the, on the, in these big cities, they would have banners, and it, it said, to my surprise in Hebrew, our tour guide said, it says, Israel is expecting the coming of the Messiah. I thought, holy cow, that's really good. Well, listen, they've been expecting the coming of the Messiah for a long time. And when these people were praying here, and he was praying inside the, the temple, I'm sure this is one of the things he was praying about. And I think he probably felt like you and me. You know, sometimes there are needs in our life, and, and uh, we have to, uh, we're a little embarrassed to take them to God because we know other people have bigger needs than ours. And we think, well, you know, mine's not that big. I really need to pray for some of the big things. Well, Elizabeth was also from the priestly tribe. Their relationship with God right here, the Bible says, is they were both righteous. This is as good as it gets. They were on the same page. How does a person become right with God? Well, they become right with God through faith, not works. Isaiah 64, 6 says this. All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. You know, people in our culture today believe that in some way that if they do better, if they get better, if they try harder, that they'll make God happier and eventually he'll accept them into a relationship with God. This is not so. 
the Bible says here that uh, all of our righteousness, all the things that we do that are right to do and things we should do are just like if we present them to God for that purpose, they're like nothing to him. They don't mean anything to him. The only thing that means anything to God is our faith. That makes sense. Uh, Genesis is the big verse. Genesis 15, 6. Let's read this together this morning. And he believed in the Lord, and he accounted it to him for righteousness. Now, this is about Abraham right here. Abraham said, listen, I believe in God. That's it, period. And God says, okay, you're righteous. That's all you need. Faith in me. And down through the centuries, everybody who has ever been made right with God has been made right by faith, not works. And so uh, here the Bible says they were both righteous in the eyes of God. Now, this, this we call uh, positional righteousness. This means in God's eyes, he makes us right. He washes away our sins. Uh, and we are right in the sight of God. That's positionally. But there is such a thing as practical righteousness. Look at the rest of the verse. Uh, they were both righteous, walking in all the commandments and the ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now, this is practical righteousness, following the commandments and ordinance of the Lord. This is somebody that not only talks the talk, but what? Walks the walk, right? Uh, they not only said, hey, listen, I believed in Jesus, I believed in God by faith, but uh, I'm following the commandments of the Lord. I'm, I'm getting down and I'm getting practical, you know, righteous people have problems, you know that? I think people have a hard time understanding that outside the church. They look at people like you that get up in the morning sometimes to come to church. And they think, I can't figure those people out. <laughs> I can't figure that out. Uh, and they look at, and they are a little bit apprehensive about people in the church because they think that we think that we don't have the problems that they do, but uh, we do have the problems they do, don't we? We do have those problems. Uh, these people had a big problem. They didn't have children, and that was a, a stigma in that day, and people looked down upon them for that reason, of course. That was wrong for them to do it, but they still did it. Children were a status symbol. You know, righteous people have problems. They get sick. They have cancer. They have severe financial problems. They struggle with their children, and later on in life, they struggle with their parents. They're misunderstood, they're falsely accused, they're persecuted. Well, these people had those problems. They were in their golden years, and I found out just recently that the golden years are not as golden as they're made out to be. They really aren't. Old age is not for sissies, amen, older people, come on. It's not for sissies, is it? I mean, you've got to be courageous. <laughs> and so here's, here's Elizabeth and Zacharias uh, they're looked upon like something's wrong with them. God didn't bless them with any children, and so they're living under that stigma, and uh, they are growing older too, and with age comes lots of problems. Uh, they're living with their problems just like you and I in this church are living with ours. But, you know, a Christian has something to do with their problems, has, has a place to go with their problems, you know, and that's to the Lord. 1 Peter 5.8 says this, Cast all your care upon me, for I care for you. We have a heavenly Father who cares about our problems. He's interested in our life. And he says, listen, when your problems get so great from you, just throw them on me. Cast them on me. And so we spend a lot of our day doing that, don't we? Okay, Lord, here's another one. How about this one? Will you handle this one? And I'll tell you, after we unburden ourselves, giving our problems to the Lord, it feels a whole lot better to have him carry them than us carrying them all the time. And so uh, righteous people have problems. And so he was so excited to be, have his lot chosen to go in and burn incense in the temple, uh, but he was in for a shock. He really was. Look at verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Wow, how about that? Now, this is interesting in the fact that 
Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there are 400 years of silence. And if you have a good study Bible, it talks about that in your Bible. 400 years of silence. When you close the Bible in the book of Malachi and you open it in the book of Matthew, there's silence from God. And this is what happens when a nation uh, grows so corrupt and keeps pushing God away and out of their culture, eventually, as much as he doesn't want to do it, he backs out away from that culture. And he leaves that culture to its own evil devices. And so for 400 years, God backed out of the culture of Israel. And things got darker and darker and darker because when God is not on the scene, there isn't any light to get rid of the darkness. And so these people were ready for light after 400 years of darkness, and God broke the sound barrier by sending Gabriel... He prepares the way for John the Baptist. Uh, he comes and he stands there with Zechariah in the holy place. And Zechariah is afraid and he says, listen, don't be afraid. He said, your prayer is heard. And I think if he would have paused, Zechariah would have been thinking, what prayer is that you're talking about? Is it the prayer for the nation? Is it prayer for the Messiah? Is it this prayer? What prayer? Your prayer is heard uh, for children, for a child. You know, whenever I was thinking about this, I thought for sure Zachariah and Elizabeth had given up praying for a child. They were so old. But then I thought, well, you know, I'm sure Zachariah and Elizabeth knew about Abraham and Sarah. You remember that story in the Bible? They were really old. And God blessed them with a child, and so maybe he just kept pressing on. Maybe he kept telling God, listen, remember Abraham and Sarah, Lord. Remember them? We could be like they are. Well, he says, that, listen, you're going to have a child. Elizabeth is going to have a child. His name is going to be John. John means given by God, or God is gracious. And his ministry is going to be like Elijah. Now, if you study Elijah in the Old Testament, I'll tell you, that's quite a ministry. He was a miracle worker. John the Baptist wasn't, but he, but he dressed like him. He preached like him. He preached repentance. And so uh, he was to, to have a ministry like John the Baptist. Uh, he didn't have uh, the success that he wanted to, but you know, the Bible says the common people heard him pretty well, but the religious people didn't want to have anything to do with him because he was probably pretty uncultured as far as they were concerned. But he carried out his, his duties faithfully. And to me, this is the bottom line of life right here as a Christian. Will we carry out our life for him faithfully? That's the question. It's not uh, how many people are patting on us on the back or how big we look in the eyes of people. It's are we faithful the scripture says, moreover, brethren, it is required in stewards, that you and me, that one be found faithful. That's all God wants from you. He wants you to be available, show up on time, be ready to serve the Lord when he calls your number. When your number is plucked, he wants you to be ready. Uh, but you know what? This wonderful uh, message that uh, the angel was giving here to Zechariah was actually disbelieved by him. Look at verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is well advanced in years. You know, have we ever done that when we're praying for something, and all of a sudden the Lord wants to answer it, and we say, Well, you can't really do that, God. That's too hard. Uh, that was kind of the way it worked right there. He had doubts. You know, doubts come even to the most faithful people. And I know sometimes you feel guilty about that. You feel... Am I really doing the right thing? What about this service for God? Is this really right for me? We have our doubts. But you know, listen to this. Every believer has lapses of faith, periods of unbelief. And when that happens, we place ourselves in a precarious situation. We don't destroy the promises, but we destroy our ability to enjoy the promises. Hebrews 11:6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so uh, 
the angel said, listen, as a result of your unbelief, you're not going to be able to speak. And so here comes Zechariah out of the temple area, and he's supposed to pronounce a blessing upon the people, but he can't talk. And so he goes home, and the angel's prophecy comes true. Elizabeth says, hey, listen, one day, uh, Zechariah, I got news for you. Our life is going to be drastically changed. She said, I, we're going to have a baby. And he would probably say, well, you're too old for that. How are you going to take care of that kid in the middle of the night? You might have to invite the neighborhood in to take the 2 o'clock shift or the 4 o'clock shift or whatever. You know, they have lots of, lots of attention, right? Well, uh, just as the Lord said, uh, she became pregnant. And uh, the baby was born, and there was great joy when this baby was born. There really was. Uh, they were trying to name the baby, and they said, listen, we ought to name, the neighbors said, we ought to name the baby Zachariah after his father. And his father said, no, don't do that. Name him John, asked by the Lord. And God did a, an amazing thing here for Zachariah. As soon as he said, name him John, his, his hearing, his ears opened up and his tongue was unleashed. And listen to this. The first thing he did was to praise the Lord. That's the first thing he did when he got his voice back. What's the moral of that? Praise the Lord while you have your voice. Amen? Praise the Lord while you have your voice. And so... Remember the benediction he didn't give when he came out and he couldn't speak? This is it right here. You'll, you'll find it familiar. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. He was supposed to give that to the people. But now he does give the blessing. Look at verse 68. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel... For he has visited and redeemed his people, and he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies. Now here he is after nine months of not being able to speak. And he says, now we're going to be saved from our enemies. There's only one person that can save us from our enemies, and that is Christ Jesus, the Lord. Our greatest enemy, of course, is the devil and all of his followers. And on and on and on it goes. It cascades from there. The only way that we can be delivered from our enemies is through the Lord. He said... We shall be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all those who hate us. Well, he gives here a blessing to the people now. The blessing that he wasn't able to give when he came out of the temple. The first thing he does is lift up Jesus. He, you know, he could have been excited because they were having a new boy, John the Baptist, in the family. But he says, listen, my first praise is to God. You know, you can never go wrong when you praise the Lord. Amen? You never go wrong. And it should always be our first praise because, you know, we like to praise people for things, right? And things they do and all that stuff. But let's praise the Lord first. That's what he did. He said, the Lord is the horn of salvation. You know what that is? That's a symbol of strength. It's an Old Testament term uh, because animals would strike, attack, and defend themselves with their horn. Jesus is the horn of our salvation. That means he's a powerful Savior. Now, what does all this mean? This means God uses ordinary people living their lives for his glory. And I want to encourage you today as a church. As far as I know, our church is just made up of ordinary people. We have our problems. We have our doubts. But our goal and our heart is to serve the Lord. It really is. And so I want to encourage you. Uh, you will always have a ministry if you prepare yourself for that ministry. And it, God has already voted a ministry for you, but you must concur. You must accept that ministry by faith from the Lord. 
2 Timothy 2.21. Let's read this together. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a utensil God can use for his purpose. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Ah, boy. You know, as long as you are justified by faith, you are saved by faith, and you walk in the light of the Lord, trying to fulfill his commandments in your life, uh, God is going to use you in some special way. And I think one day down the road, give you some expected, unexpected blessings. Never, never underestimate what God can do in his timing. Now, I think Zacharias and Elizabeth wanted a baby a long time previous to this. But uh, God's answer was, just wait a little while. I'm not ready for that right now. And maybe the vision of your heart and the desire of your heart is something, and God hasn't brought it to fruition yet. But maybe he hasn't said no either. Maybe he hasn't said no either. I know one thing. Jeremiah 29:11 says this, For I know the thoughts I think toward you, says the Lord, they are thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Uh, I want you to, uh, to make a goal. Husband and wife, let's be that simple, spiritual couple. Walking hand in hand through life, saying, listen, our greatest desire is just to have some sort of a little spiritual impact. Be used by God. And then be sensitive when God taps us on the shoulder and says, hey, listen, I have something special for you. You know that prayer that you prayed 10 years ago or 20 years ago? I'm going to answer it for you right now. I'm going to give you the answer. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed today, don't relinquish the vision of your life. First of all, set a goal. My wife and I, we're going to have a goal like Zacharias and Elizabeth. We're going to get right with God, and we're going to walk in his commandments. And we're going to let God work out the details from that point in time on. We're just giving our life over to the Lord. Because I know... In your circle of influence and in my circle of influence, there are a lot of people who need a light and they'll never get it unless you, unless you strike it, unless you start. And so I want to call on you today to be the light. Come to Christ. Let him save your soul. Let him wash away your sins. Commit your life to him and say, Lord, I'm going to get me a Bible and I'm going to find out what your commandments are and I'm going to start walking in them. Because I, after it's all said and done, I want to be able to say about my life that there's been a difference. I just didn't waste and throw away my life. I walked in the light of Christ. He is my light. Dear Lord, we thank you for this example in the Bible of a simple spiritual couple, hand in hand troubles and all, doubts, but just moving forward, being blessed by you and serving, serving their Lord faithfully. I pray that you will give this vision to us today in this generation, Lord. There are dads here, there are mothers here, there are young people here that need a relationship with you, and I pray today that that will come to pass in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And as we sing, if you'd like to come and pray here at the front of the church about anything going on in your life or the life of a friend, you just feel free to do that right now as we sing together.
Bible says a lot about just common people, and as far as I know, that's our church. Common, hard-working people. We got our problems, but I'll tell you, we have a great Savior, amen? amen. The Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, pick up the, your tickets to the dinner theater out in the foyer of the church before you go home and shake hands with a few people. Let's make everybody feel welcome today. God bless you. You're dismissed. Is that okay? <laughs>